childhood possession of yours that you just simply loved beyond anything else you had. So some sort of great treasure from your childhood. Take a moment, ponder that. And also, 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we will be. So now that you've had a, a moment, I'm sure some of it came quickly. Some of you maybe had to go and really wrestle. What was that one thing? It was very simple for me when I thought about this question. Um, in fact, I, I still play with them today because I have a little son who, who just left. And my childhood possession, hands down, that I treasured above anything else were Legos. <laughs> I still own Legos. Luckily, my, my mom, who's, who's here, she held on to all of my Legos from my childhood. And so as my son grew... We found those crates. Massa, I had a ton of Legos. I got them for any opportunity that there was a gift, that's what I wanted. Birthday, Christmas, Easter, any opportunity, that's what I wanted. And literally, I took over my, my parents' dining uh, kitchen, or excuse me, dining table uh, for a period of time where it was just a Lego village. It was covered all over the place. They, I couldn't get enough of it. Ezra, luckily, is into them as well, so it's super fun. And it's just, all these great memories are tied here, and it was just something I treasured. In fact, um, they, my parents even allowed me to have a small little tackle box that I could take with me when we went places where I knew I'd have to sort of entertain myself because they went to a lot of you know, grown-up events that, you know, what's a seven-year-old going to do? Well, he, he took his Legos with him and built stuff the whole time. Uh, it was great. I loved it. But nevertheless, what I want to now do is just take that, pause for a moment, and, and save that thought. Um, and if you are able, uh, will you please stand for the, the reading of, of God's Word? So our text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, excuse me, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with the glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. So as we read through this entire passage, I think two major concepts are very clear. Two major concepts. Uh, salvation and faith. And so let's examine these and let's unpack these ideas. First, let's take a look at salvation. What it means 
to be saved. Now, first and foremost, as Scripture is very clear, salvation is in Christ alone. There is no other means of grace. There is no other means of salvation. It is only in Christ and His work. I mean, in fact, it says here, um, kept, excuse me, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter doesn't go into the whole gospel here, but again, it notices that it is important to focus in on the resurrection. What precedes that? Well, his perfect life, his sinless life, his active obedience to the Father in every way, and then his obedience to the cross in which he was, takes the punishment of our sins and then later is rose from the dead. And as we also know, eventually ascends to heaven to, to the right hand of the Father. And this is our, our gospel message summarized, and this is the very formation of what it means to have salvation, or at least how salvation is secured. Because again, we know we cannot earn it or, or earn it on our own. Um, we understand that it's through this that we have it. In fact, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 states this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that is, again, Christ being put in all of the uh, sin that we have. He takes on our sin. He, uh, is, the Father does this, and then it's him who knew no sin. Again, that's Christ. He knew no sin so that we might inherit God's righteousness. So again, we see salvation first and foremost that it is an act of God. And Peter em emphasizes this when he says we are caused to be born again to a living hope. This is what he's referencing. This is what he's talking about. And so when we understand salvation, we have to first just come to this point that we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We are fallen creatures who need redemption, and it's only in Christ. Now, just in case... This isn't sufficient. I want us to take a quick look over at Ephesians chapter 2, because Ephesians chapter 2 really drives home this point as well. And Paul writes in Ephesians 2, I moved my post-it note over my text, there we go. And he says this in verses 4 through 9, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So again, this is not a mystery. We are very clear on what it is or how it is that we are to be saved, and that is in Christ, in His work, in His gift that He gives us, and there's no way we can get around this. But again, even notice the key word that both Paul and Peter use if we go back is a phrase, mercy. Again, it's stemmed in God's mercy. He shows mercy for us, and so we are now able to be saved. 
And so, salvation is gifted by God. It's rooted in His mercy. And so now we even see in verses 3 and 5 of our main text here in Peter that it is guarded or protected. That faith, excuse me, that salvation is being guarded by God's power. Now, again, we have to stop and just take a moment to realize what that's exactly saying, that God's power is the one behind it. I can't do it. I can't protect my salvation. If it were left up to me, I would mess it up. I can guarantee you that. Uh, just as many of us would probably affirm as well, that if we left salvation to our merit, our work, we would mess it up. There's no way that we could hang on to it. But in Peter, uh, we see here that he, by God's power, it's being guarded. And that's a amazing reality that he is holding this because this, this concept of his power and his protection is not a passive protection, right? Like, we can obviously think of, you know, any sort of stereotypical movie where there's that lazy guard who falls asleep on the watch or, you know, the guard who can be bought off with a price or various other corruptions that may come into the, the reality of, you know, popular films and stories and whatnot. But at the end of the day, this is not that. This is a power, this is a guardian of God that he will not let get, get by you. He won't let it slip. He's not taking a nap. He can't be bought off. He can't be corrupted in any way. He will preserve this to the very end. The, the, more, the better image we should have is that noble and almost over the overzealous guard where they will lay their life down and do whatever means it is necessary for this salvation to be guarded. God is not passive. God is active in this, and He will not be defeated. Now, if we continue to unpack then what it is to be saved or to have salvation in Christ, we continue to see how he unpacks this and notice uh, in verse 4, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, an inheritance, that should assume family. Who is it that inherits typically when we think about inheritance, right? I don't expect to be in anyone's will here, except, well, except for my mom, but again, she's my family. Sorry, that. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, but that's the reality because she's she's my mother. She and my father, I think they have an inheritance. No, they do. Um, we, anyways, that's there. And this is no difference. God has an inheritance for his children. His children. Uh, in fact, in Ephesians, uh, Paul uh, alludes to the fact that we are adopted as sons in in Christ, that again, that we are brought into this family of the, the people of God. So again, we are, we are His children. We're not some estranged, random, you know, people that sort of know God, but no, 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 we are His children. So again, inheritance, but even in that inheritance, notice the words that He calls it. He says it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Unfading. 
And I won't lie, I'm thankful for whatever inheritance I get one day. But it'll fade. It'll crumble. Or it'll get spent, right? We, we know the story of the prodigal son. He wanted his inheritance early, and he threw it all away. It can, it can expire. It can end. It can rust or be destroyed. Or, or again, maybe an inheritance might be an object, which again isn't going to last the time, uh, throughout all time. Here, our inheritance does last. It is imperishable. It can't fade. It's undefiled. It's not going to ever be corrupted. It's not going to be spoiled. And then unfading, again, it's never going to erode. It's perfect. It's lasting. It's eternal. This is the weight of this salvation that, again, it's not a passing moment, but it's a guarantee moment. It's a forever moment, an eternal moment that lasts forever. And so in verse 6, Peter once again continues and says, in this you rejoice. Then he goes on, but let's just take a moment to pause, and in this you rejoice, because Look at what we've just unpacked, that you have a sure salvation in Christ that will never fade, will never end, can never be taken away. It is done. And then he says, in this you rejoice. And I got to say, yes, I do. And church, do you? Now, there we go. Okay, good. Because that, just stop and fathom how great this moment is that all eternity is secured for me. For you, if you are in Christ, this should cause you to rejoice. So I think that summarizes sort of our main point here in salvation. But, again, I said there were two sort of major concepts. We'll actually come back to salvation at the end a little bit. But I want to also just sort of transition and talk about faith right now. And so... This faith, notice the sort of way that Peter works it in in verse uh, 5. Who are by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation. And then in in verse 9, he says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So it seems just based on these two verses alone, that there's a very strong connection between salvation and faith. And again, we have to look back at a text we already have looked at in Ephesians to sort of emphasize this even more so. Because Paul will write something very similar in Ephesians chapter 2. Once again, he says this, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And thus is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God as a result of works that no one may boast. So what is then this faith? Well, again, we see here in our text, it's a part of this gift as well. Faith is the gift as well. Faith is bestowed to the person to believe. And in fact, when we even considered it in um, our Peter passage, 
I would argue that it is that causation to be born again. That faith again enters in because of God's interaction, God's moving, God's pushing. And it is faith that again is part of the being guarded. So God is guarding the faith as well. It's not just the spiritual reality of our salvation, but the faith that goes along with it, that God is also saving and protecting in verse 5. Now, it's important to note that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the, the author there says, without faith is impossible to please God. Now, if there's ever been an understatement that I'm about to say, evidently, faith is important. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how to even emphasize that statement that the writer of Hebrews says, that is it impossible to please God without faith? Impossible. That means you can't do it without faith. So again, you must have faith. But again, luckily, as we've already seen, that it is a gift of God that God gives it to his people. Now, I think as we have, well, we've sung about faith, we've talked about faith many times here, but in our common uh, culture, society around us, I think when we hear the word faith, sometimes we have a misunderstanding uh, of faith. Sometimes our culture will, will argue that faith is, is basically um, just hoping for the best or hoping for a, a good outcome, right? Like, I hope, you know, uh, my sports team might win this afternoon or this evening, whenever they may play, right? Or I hope that, you know, I, I get that promotion one day. Or I hope that, you know, any myriad of things. It's just this almost an optimistic worldview where I just, I just want to be happy and I want to hope that things are going to go right and I just want to be carefree and just hope that... It, but, but no, that's not the biblical hope. The biblical understanding of hope is confidence. It's assurance. Or even also reliance. So when I say I have hope in my faith, it's not, well, I hope my faith will maybe be good enough that I can maybe be saved. No, it's I have hope, meaning I have confidence in the faith that I've been given so that my salvation is secure. It's that I trust in it. Just, just like when I set my Bible here, I had perfect faith that this would hold up my Bible. Now, if I jump on it, well, that's a different question. But, but that's the kind of reality we are we're talking about, a, a, an assurance, a confidence, a trust that is overwhelming. And it even sometimes can transcend what others might say or what even lack of confidence I might have. It can, uh, can overcome that. But nevertheless, that is the Christian faith. Because if we stop and, and ask ourselves in light of the more popular trend of, is it, do I trust that I'm good enough to enter the presence of the holy God? No. Can I be sure my actions are righteous? No. And can I rely on myself for salvation? When we start to look at hope and faith in that kind of a reality, now, all of a sudden, we see how much confidence it actually takes because I must be sure in Christ because in and of myself, it's going to fall way short. 
Now, it's important to note that yes, I'm not perfect at this. I've wrongly put hope in other things. I've wrongly had faith in counterfeits and and had faith in things that were going to mislead for sure. But Peter, once again, is already assuming these realities. And notice what he says in verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. Again, we already are rejoicing. We've already mentioned that. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and uh, glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's already pre- uh, assuming that, well, I'm, my faith's not perfect. Well, indeed it's not. But in this couple verses here, Peter uses a metaphor. He draws out gold and fire. And I don't think anyone here is unaware that gold is valuable. Gold has been valuable across cultures for centuries. Gold has been the standard of wealth uh, for a very long time, and, and many people still seek out gold. It, in fact, has started revolution and, and war, and, and it's been the cause of many great things, the seeking out and the hope of getting gold. And so Peter now compares our faith to that gold, that it is precious, that it is important. But he also notices and comments that just like gold has its imperfections, so does our faith in our flesh. As our fallen selves, we still wrestle with falling short. We still wrestle with being imperfect. We still wrestle with going to false things for faith and for hope and for anything. We do this. We still struggle. We still wrestle. And that is the analogy that gold, because despite not despite, but just the reality. Gold is never just in the earth, pure and perfect and ready to go right off the bat. If I were to start mining for gold, theoretically, I'm not going to find perfectly pristine bars of gold stacked up in nice, neat little rows. I mean, if I did, I I did. My assumption wouldn't be that was natural. My assumption would be, oh, I found someone else's uh, stockpile of gold, which, hey, who knows, right? No, I, I doubt that'll ever happen. But that's the point. That, that's not the natural case. You find gold and there's all sorts of other elements mixed in, interwoven, uh, dirt, and various other metals and, and natural occurrences, elements that are all there, all present. And so gold needs to be refined. Gold needs to be purified. And this is the metaphor Peter is drawing in on, that just like faith is precious, it's perfect. Again, who, who would stop? If I had a clump of various dirts and metals and what, but there was some gold in there, would you guys turn your nose to it? Absolutely not. It still has value. You'd be willing to go through the process to clean it, perhaps. So faith is the same way that it needs to be purified. And so that gold in that state would be 
in the crucible. It would be heated up to remove all the imperfections and so that they could be wiped away. Removed so that it would be left with just the pure, undefiled gold. And notice that's exactly what he says. For now, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials. Those are the fires that he mentions is about the purifying of gold. It is being grieved by various trials. So what does it mean to be grieved? Well, literally, this can be almost just about anything that causes heartache or discomfort or pain. It can be physical problems that push us to God, uh, health issues, struggles there, but it also can be just the emotional anxieties or stresses of life that come down on us that weigh us down. And notice again, it doesn't pull any punches. It says grieved. I can guarantee we've all been here. We've all grieved something. Heartache has come. Pain has come. This life isn't easy. And now some are different. Some have experienced more or less varying degrees, but nevertheless, the reality is we all struggle, and we all have struggled, and we all will continue to struggle, but he compares that struggle, that grieving, with being tested like the gold is being heated, being tested in the fire to be found the result. Excuse me, uh, to be found in the result more precious than the gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, even though we go through these hard things, where is it that we turn to? Is it that faith that now is being built up? Because as we overcome, we see God's hand in our lives. So God is purifying. God is using these hardships and he was not shy to, again, communicate how important and how precious this is. Again, the fact that he uses gold, I think, is where he's borrowing from Jesus. Right? In Mark chapter 8, Jesus said this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Or in Matthew says, do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So it would seem that Peter understands how valuable this faith is, and he wants us to seek it out even more precious and more important than any earthly treasure one might find. In fact, even the, the Mark passage there gets me because it's easy. Maybe, okay, you hear the word treasure in Matthew and you think, okay, I'm not seeking financial wealth, but Mark even points out who could gain the whole world. So any fame, any power, any sense, anything, it shows that faith is more significant than any of those things. So, we can now see salvation 
the work of God, how he saves us, how he redeems us, how he brings us back. Faith is the gift that he gives us to grow in this, and that fire is refining us or purifying us. And these trials, again, cause us to be um, made right, or they cause us to not be made right, but they cause us to rely on Christ to continue that work. In fact, James chapter 1 says this about it. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be made perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So James ties into this notion too, but being made perfect. <laughs> Can I make fun of Elder Eric's name now too? Do I get a t- turn? Because he mentioned sanctification earlier when he was up here. That is exactly what this is getting at, that we are being sanctified, we're being made holy. And in fact, Romans chapter 8, I think, illustrates a lot of what we've already been unpacking and talking about quite a bit. And Romans chapter 8 notes this in verse uh, 29. It starts, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. There's those trials making us like Christ. Uh, In order that four new predestined, there we are, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brethren, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those who he called, he also justified. There's our salvation we've looked at. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And now while we haven't got into that, Peter actually does get into that. Peter ends this passage with that very idea. In verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not now seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is where we start to see glorification. Revealed, oh, I didn't go back far enough, but in verse 5 mentions being revealed into a future. And we, we don't know when that is. We don't know what future that is. But in fact, Pastor Don mentioned it last week in his um, study, the, the final epoch of time when Christ returns when he comes back in glory to bring in this new and final age of eternity that we understand, that we see, and that's what this is pointing to. Because none of us here were there when Christ did all that he did. I wasn't present at the feeding of the 5,000. I wasn't present when he walked on water. I didn't witness the crucifixion, but yet I have faith that they all took place, confidence, assurance, knowing why gift of God, but also His Word has made it so clear. And so I missed all of that. And so again, even though I don't know that, I still love God. And even though you've never seen that, you still can love God. 
But again, it's this notion that there will be this future event as well, that He will glorify us, bring us out of this broken state where we still struggle with sin, where we still have these problems, where the sanctification process is still going on, but rather one day we will be glorified, where we'll be in perfect harmony, perfect unity with a glorified body with Christ. And that again ought to bring inexpressible joy, as the text says. So when we look at this all together, we just see how massive, how wonderful this gift of salvation, this gift of faith is that it brings us to this point where I'm just speechless. Why? Because of His mercy, because of His love. And our God is so good for doing this. It's an incomprehensible reality that He would do all of these things. And so now, I want you to remember back to that childhood possession. Again, remember mine were Legos. How minuscule is that item, that toy, maybe that blankie stuffed animal you had? How insignificant is that thing in comparison to all of this? Now, I had us consider a childhood memory because that sort of can soften the blow of the the takeaway here. But ultimately, when we look at a passage like this, one has to be a little concerned, uh, worried maybe, um, nervous, because we see what all of God has done, and then He notes that this is even more precious than gold. Yet I know we can struggle to fill our time and our focus on things outside of this reality. Now, this is not just a, a, an attack on, on you, I mean, myself included. I, there have been plenty of sleepless nights laying in bed going, okay, how are we going to pay for this bill? Worried, because again, I don't have enough gold. Or... Or again, my dream career falling away from me going, oh no, what happened? My life is ruined. I'm 25 and my life's ruined now. How wrong was I then? Various examples that we could all come up with of how we've been so caught up in a career or the, the seeking out of financial prosperity or various other things that replace this treasure here, our salvation and our faith. Maybe it's our own talents, our own um, strengths and various activities that we cling to, that we go, if only I could still do this. Those things fade. Those things have gone away. And so when we see here, we see that it is our faith that brings our salvation 
that that must be the prized treasure of our hearts. That nothing can even come close to this. And I can understand that right now, because I won't lie to you, when I read this and started to unpack this, I went, how am I going to ever teach this? (laughs) There was a big giant mirror looking back at me going, do you really prize Christ above everything? And I sadly had to admit, no, not all the time. I I won't lie to you. the, The reality of being able to go, sometimes when I'm stressed out and overwhelmed with everything, to just plop on the couch and turn on a sporting game, just to zone out for a few hours while whatever team it is that is on... Again, whatever sports season it is. Right now it's baseball. So the Giants, let's use them. It would be great to go just watch a Giants game because then I can take out all my frustration on them. When they don't hit, I can go, oh, see, this is what's wrong. And instead of actually dealing with what's going on in my life, I can hang on to, you know, blame my problems. Oh, because they didn't score when they left the bases loaded with, you know, with no outs. Sure, I can do that. But then that game ends. And now What? So yes, I can find temporary joy, and even those things inherently aren't necessarily even sinful. Again, is it sinful to sit and watch a game? No. But when I use it to escape my problems, maybe it crosses a line. And so we can all be in that situation, but here's where, again, we have to be reminded of the the goodness of God. Because if you are feeling down on yourself... That means God is pulling attention to those things that need to be purified in the fire. God is now sort of maybe trying to communicate to you that whatever it is that came up when you thought about things that you placed before God, Him going, yeah, maybe this needs to be purified, and He's going to now work on this and start to burn away this imperfection. Or again, maybe you are just grieving right now and you're so beyond, you don't even know because again, you're so caught up. Well, let's turn back to God. Find our comfort in Him. Let's not go to one of these counterfeits of either our careers or wealth or our entertainment. These temporary solutions that do not last. The reality is, is that we ought to, instead of turning to these temporary solutions, turn to either God himself directly in prayer and just lay our hearts out before him, asking for understanding, asking him for wisdom, asking him for comfort. But then also getting into the scripture where we can actually pour into and actually see how then we can overcome, how we can learn, how we can grow by the word of God But even still, there's even more because now we can also come to a community like here to actually pour in and and pray with one another, to support one another, to carry the burdens of one another, or to have our burdens carried by one another. That ought to be what we do when these trials come, as God is sanctifying us and burning away our temporary solutions. And so I hope that we consider that because that, I think, will lead to even greater joy when we actually 
turn to the things God has given us to combat the trials we find, not our temporary solutions. So again, if you are feeling overwhelmed or uh, convicted, then that is a good thing here because, again, we see that it's God doing this to bring about the sanctification that He's doing in our hearts right now. So you're in good company. We're all here. But I, I, but I want to I wanted to end with this quote because I, I love what Augustine of Hippo said here. Uh, he was a, a theologian from the 4th and 5th centuries, and he says this. He says, Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. So again, if we're going to actually value our salvation in Christ, he needs to be the one thing above all else. He needs to be what we cling to, what we hold to, what we run to when life comes at us like these trials, because it is the salvation that gives us so much joy. What could be better than knowing that right now my sins are accounted for because of the work of Christ? What could be better than knowing that one day I will be in perfect harmony with God for all eternity, worshiping Him and just communion with my Creator? What is better than that? And as we've seen in our text, absolutely nothing. So will you pray with me? God, I thank you again for this day. God, I thank you that you brought us here to hear your word. God, and I just pray that as we heard your word, that, Lord, we will take this to heart, that we will sit and rest in knowing that you, Lord, have already saved us, that you have redeemed us, and that, Lord God, you are working in our midst. So, God, continue to sanctify us, continue to purify uh, these areas where we are uh, weak, and just, God, continue to conform us into the image of your Son. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.